0: Good morning. Good morning. We'll get started. So, Preston was unable to teach this week, so we're going to jump ahead to chapter 26 this week. And Lord willing, he'll be back for 25 next week. Um, so if you got your confession, get it ready for chapter 26. And let me open in a short word of prayer. Father, we come to you inadequate, come to you unable to see all that it is that you have for us, Lord, but we pray that you will give us a greater glimpse today, Lord. Open our eyes, give us ears to hear, and help us, Lord, to glorify Christ, that we might walk in righteousness, walk in truth, and honor your name, be a blessing, and not a curse to each other, Lord. We thank you for your grace over us and your patience with us, Lord, help us to Step into the obedience that you have called us to, that we might receive the the blessings that are there, Lord. That we might trust your word, trust your goodness, Lord. That we might not lean on our own understanding, but that might walk towards Christ. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word and its clearness. And just pray that our foggy minds will be cleared away that we might think clearly for a while. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... There are 15 points. If we do 10 minutes per point, we're only going to be here 150 <laughs> minutes. And in case you hadn't thought about that, I only say that so you can realize what's going on and the reason why it may look like we're running fast. Um, because of that, um, primarily going to be on six points. 26 26.3, 26.4, 5.6, and 26.10. If you have any concerns or questions, so part of the reason for going through the confession is for us as a church to come upon an agreement of the synthesis of our faith. Obviously, we do not believe this contains the whole of our faith. Um, We see this as a synthesis of what we believe. So if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or snide remarks, you got my email address, feel free to email me. Uh, If there's anything you feel wasn't covered, needs to be covered, or something you might have an issue with, also feel free to ask any of us, um, to talk about it. So most of us love to talk anyway, sometimes a little too much, and so we'd be happy to address any of those concerns. Um, Start out, so 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, I hope to come to see you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. Of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So, there is a way we ought to behave. There is a way church ought to be covered, ought to be carried out. Um, I think starting with that premise and that understanding is that God, in His Word, has ordained a way that church should be carried out. Um, we're not supposed to just do what feels right. That's that's seen as a curse. On a people when they live that way, so um, as we as we address these issues and think about these different things that it's talking about, I'd like you to just to see the fact that God has prescribed a way that He is to be worshipped. We've talked about that before, and underneath that prescription is how He lines out how the church ought to be arranged and how we ought to behave. So, twenty um, six the Catholic, that is, universal church, may be called invisible with respect to the internal work of the Spirit and truth of grace. It consists of the full number of the elect. Have been, are, or will be gathered into under, one, under Christ her head. The church is the spouse, the body, and fullness of him who fills all. 26.2 All people throughout the world who profess the faith of the gospel and obedience to God through Christ in keeping with the gospel are and may be called visible saints. As long as they do not destroy their own profession by any foundational errors or unholy living, all congregations ought to be made up of these. So, a couple of points I wanted to make there. Um, obviously, point one, we believe in a universal church. Um, I think too often times we speak of the universal church, uh, the invisible church as some people will call it, and don't focus enough on the application part in the physical church and how we ought to actually act um, Sometimes we like to live in the ethereal world. It doesn't kind of exist, and we don't live enough in the material world where we actually put, the, put our boots on the ground, if you want to say. So we have, most of us have an idea of how we think things ought to be done. We don't often carry that out. So um, point two, two things I wanted you to look at and pick up on specifically. Um, you're called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Um, we know the Corinthian church was filled with problems. Um, I mean, how many churches? you got two letters. Um, and so, um, it's, it's not the harshest. Corinthians is not the harshest letter. Galatians is the harshest letter that was written to a church. But Corinthians is not short. Um, Joe, would you read 1 Corinthians 1-2? Uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Okay, that idea of called to be saints. Paul is writing to them before he addresses their problems and their errors that they're having difficulties with. And he, he points out, second verse, called to be saints. So understand, there's an Im- inclin- or a uh, impression there that you should have is that you're not yet there. So the the already not yet aspect of our faith is we understand that, yes, you are saints, but you are still called to be saints. You're still called to live out and act as saints. So the point two brings up the specific point. It says, as long as they do not destroy their own profession by any foundational errors or unholy living. Foundational errors or unholy living. So, we will have to deal with this. It's, 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 I, I thought about myself, and I'm like, okay, Lord, if I honestly looked in the mirror in the morning and said I'm going to be immune and never going to have to deal with that, I think I would be foolish of me to say that. I have you here as a church. There's a reason why God has made a body that is made up of different parts. As a church, we together keep each other from foundational errors, and unholy living. As that goes, it, it's kind of, you have to assume that, there. well, there's going to be a day. You drive a new car lot, car off the car lot, you need to change the oil in 5,000 miles. You can't just keep driving that thing until the wheels fall off and assume that's okay. You understand there's going to be a day where it's going to have to be something addressed, and that's the nastiness is going to be taken out. Something fresh and new is going to be put in, because the wear and tear of life is going to make that oil nasty. In our lives, as God carries us along the path of sanctification, this is kind of like what I talked about before when it comes to if you find something in the Scripture that confronts the way you live, are you willing to change as a result of that? And I say that because I believe there's a lot in here that God continues to open our eyes to as we grow in Christ, that we will be faced with the decision like, well, John, I probably shouldn't be doing that. Or, John, that wasn't the best idea for me. And our humility, the part of the humility of us being believers and pushing away from pride is understanding there's going to be a time where I'm going to face a foundational error and I'm either going to lean into it or I'm going to repent of it and push away. Same thing with unholy living. There's going to be a temptation that's going to come. I'm going to lean into it or I'm going to push away. It's kind of like the whole mess that's been going on with COVID and everything. At this point, some people are so well invested in the narrative. Instead of acknowledging that there may have been some things done wrong, they're just leaning into it and pushing on with it. Persisting in unrighteousness, in, in lies. People, people will choose to stay in lies and live in lies because it protects their pride. And they don't have to admit wrong. I mean, it's, How many times do governments come out and say, well, we were wrong on that one. So us as Christians, as a body, understand one of the points that we're talking about here: a church continues to be a church so long as it continue as as it does as it excuse me, as long as they do not destroy their own profession by any foundational error or unholy living. So us as a church, us as looking at other churches in that aspect. Now, the way we use the word church, we don't have to call everybody a church that meets together and calls himself a church. We don't have to do that. Don't assume, it, it, I mean, it's the theme of our culture today that you can be whatever you want to be just, and we have to call you that. Well, no. I, I, I'm not Hispanic. It, it's obvious. I'm not black. It's obvious. If I chose to call myself that, you have every right to say, no, it's kind of stupid. You know you're not that. Don't do that. Just because somebody calls themselves a church doesn't mean we have to go along with that. On our side of it, we have to inspect ourselves ourselves. If we're going to call ourselves a church, keep an eye on our teaching and our holiness. So, don't blur the line or lower the bar. I attended a quote, here's your scare quotes or air quotes, whatever, church a few weeks ago, and we left. And I made it a point to tell my kids that wasn't a church. We were visiting relatives. We went to their church. We walked out the door, I made sure my kids understood that was not a church. It was closer to a movie theater than it was a church. It was entertainment, yes. It was comfortable, yes. It was nice, yes. Plenty of coffee, great. It was not a church. Call it many things, it wasn't a church. So, um, don't blur the line, lower the bar. 26-3. This is what leads into it as well. So, the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. Some have denigrated so much that they have ceased to be churches of Christ and have become synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, Christ has always had and will have in this world, to the very end of a kingdom, to the very end, a kingdom of those who believe in and profess his name. So, you can be a church and then cease to be one. That's our warning. Um... Construction is very much this way. Many people start out well. Much fewer finish well. You don't have to drive far to find many houses that have started well, never finished. We're trying to start well, keep eye on the goal of Christ, and finish well is our goal. That was Paul's goal, that I may be found to continue in Christ. I've said this before to people. Even the Reformers, Luther in his deathbed, you know, they would ask them in that day, are you still trusting Christ? Because it was important how you finished well, not just that you started well. So, as a church, understand that we can denigrate so much that we cease to be churches of Christ and become synagogues of Satan. 26.4. Short and simple, no popes. There is one head of the church. The pope sets himself up as the head. Unbiblical. That's false doctrine. Uh, the Pope of the Roman Catholicism cannot in any sense be head of the church. But that is what the official Roman Catholic doctrine does. is sets the Pope up as the head of the church. Um, they're not as firm as they used to be on some of their teaching, but they would say that all other churches are not churches at one time. Um, because of the, the belief that the Pope was the selected one in the line of Peter and was the actual physical, physical visible representation on earth of the head of the church. We reject that doctrine holy. There's one head of the church, and that is Christ. After that, you just have under-shepherds. So, that's an easy one to get through. Uh, 26.5. Expectations. So, In exercising the authority entrusted to Him, the Lord Jesus, through the ministry of His Word, by His Spirit, calls to Himself out of the world those who are given to Him by His Father. They are called so that they will live before Him in all the ways of obedience that He prescribes for them in His Word. What's the expectations? As you look at me as a fellow member, that right there, you will be called to give an account for me and the other members of this church, are you living before Christ in the ways of obedience that he prescribes in his word? That's the question. So, so first off, to be that, you have to be a student of the word. If you're going to know if somebody's living in the way that Christ has prescribed, you first have to be a student of the word. In Christianity, there are no sideliners. Everybody has to be a student of the Word. And you have to ask, are you living in a way, or am I, or your fellow members, living in a way of obedience that is prescribed for them in God's Word? So, for me and for you, this is the funny part. You get, there's always those jokes about relationships between men and women, you know, and they have to define their relationship. Uh, define the relationship deal. It's like, hey, you know, going to define our relationship. Because we don't know, you know, I've got family that's like this poor girl kind of getting strung along. She didn't really know if she was a girlfriend or not, and, you know, I don't know if he's commitment phobic or what, but, and just, they needed to have one of those define the relationship moments. Because people on the sidelines are watching, and they're kind of like, you kind of, you know, you don't want to just say it out loud. Hey, will you tell her what she is, you know, and will you, you know, explain this relationship? What are you two? This is our define the relationship moment. This is so early on. This is a great thing to get, get out because what will happen is if you have a great relationship early on and you don't define that relationship about the intrusion that you're going to have on each other's lives and you don't explain that, the day is going to come when you're going to feel the need to intrude on my life and it's going to be really, really awkward because we never gave ourselves permission to do that. So right now, you have to look at each other and understand that we have to give each other permission to intrude upon each other's lives in the good and the bad. You have to be vulnerable enough. And it's a blessing when you go to somebody's house and you realize they haven't had time to clean everything. Now, my wife will kill me if I let y'all come over just like that. Give us a little bit of warning. (laughs) But the truth is, we have to be vulnerable enough that we're okay if people come over and we're not all put together. You got to be, we got to be, our relationship has to be enough. Because let's be honest, we know we ain't all as put together as we think we are. Most of us are a a, a bag of marbles that look somewhat put together, but if one string comes off, marbles all over the floor. We have to have a good enough relationship with each other that we're there And we're defining the relationship ahead of time that says, hey, I'm going to have a bad day and you're probably going to have to say something to me one day. That's the kind of relationship we're going to have. There's plenty of churches out there that offer a superficial, entertainment-based, just program-oriented. They'll keep your kids away from you for a couple hours. You'll get a peaceful little encouraging message and all that. That's not a church. Church is going to be the people, and this is where the relationship is established, We have to define the relationship with us early on as a church is that we're going to be in each other's lives. On the days when the marriage is rough, when the kids are bad, all those things that come when the car breaks, when I make a bad financial decision, and on the good days, when the grandkids are born, when the kids are born, when the birthdays are celebrated, when the barns are being raised. On the good days and the bad days, we're going to be there. When somebody dies, I don't know if I'm going to live tomorrow. Good chance a lot of y'all are going to be at my funeral. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. This is where we're defining the relationship early on, is we're going to be there. When somebody loses a, a son, somebody loses a daughter, somebody loses a husband, a wife, or whatever it may be, we're going to be there when it gets nasty and messy. So we've got to buy our mud boots now. Because this isn't going to be all green pastures. We've been called to suffering. Let's put the boots on now and walk in it. Trust Christ in it. So, um, that's 26.5. They are called so that they will live before him in all the ways of obedience. Um, the expectations, we define our relationship. Um, those who are called, he commands to live together in local societies or churches. Now, here it is. For their mutual edification and the fitting conduct of public worship that he requires of them while they're in the world. So, in the short time, there will be an ultimate Goal that we're. the is the ultimate goal we're all shooting for. But while we're in this world, God has called us to live in these communities, these local groups, and churches where we worship together and glorify God. It's clearly spelled out. That's what we are called to do. While we're in this world, so we're called. We're, we look to the, we look to the city whose builder and maker is God, to the city not made by human hands. We look to that, but we live here today. Um, Twenty six six. The members of these churches are saints by calling, visibly displaying and demonstrating in and by their profession and life their obedience to the call of Christ. They willingly agree to live together according to Christ's instructions, giving themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God, with the stated purpose of following the ordinances of the gospel. So, a mutual agreement to this life. They willingly live to agree to live together. That's what I've been talking about. Um, according to Christ's instructions, giving themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God. So this is, this is part of your understanding. As, as I'm proposing that you enter into this relationship with us, each other, is understand this is not something I'm asking you to do apart from the will of God but this is by the will of God. Um had a conversation with a family member was talking about a lot of things that he liked duh, 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 and didn't like about the church and my goal in that whole conversation was just to remind him that the church was God's design, not man's design. The church was God's design, not man's design. It wasn't our idea to make up the church. It was God's plan. It's going to be nasty? Yes. Are there bad churches? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's still God's design. Just because you've had a bad experience doesn't mean you get to check out and say, nope, I'm done, Serve my time. Doesn't work that way. And just because there's been a bad church doesn't mean that there are not godly, good churches. So, um, mutual agreement to this life. So, Question. Oh, I missed this one. Sorry. Back up on this. Um, one of the questions I, I asked, and this is along with our sanctification. So, do you want to be good? I had to ask myself this question. Do I want to be good? Because false humility goes ahead of me pretty easily. And I don't have a problem talking bad about myself. I don't have a problem, you know, making jokes about different things. Sometimes my false humility be, can be carried too far to where I don't actually strive to be good. Because we understand, we know. I mean, if I, if I came up here and said I'm good, I know there'd be plenty of y'all that would quote to me, but there's only one who's good. And you'd be absolutely right. There is only one who's good. When Jesus told the ruler, Why do you call me good teacher? Or the rich young man, I mean, not the ruler. Why do you call me a good teacher? There's only one who's good. God is the only good one. But that does not mean we should not have a desire to be good. And when I say that, I mean, do you have a desire to be righteous? Do you have a desire to walk in righteousness? Now, all jokes aside about how bad we are, at the end of the day, even though I know I'm a wretch, I shouldn't define my life by being a wretch. Because Paul didn't define our lives by being wretch. He called them saints. Called to be saints. So the question is, as a projection of a church, do we want to be good? Do you want to be good? Do you want to become more holy than you are today, or have you plateaued? That's a legitimate question. So there may be times you have to call me out and say, Hey, yeah, funny, funny, John, great jokes, but you, know, you really actually need to strive for holiness. You actually need to want to desire to be good. So in my jokes about my wretchedness, it should never overshadow the fact that in my heart I should desire to be righteous, to honor Christ by being obedient and to honor Him, knowing that that is not earning me salvation in the least little bit. This is not not a matter of justification. My justification will only ever be because of Christ's goodness, never because of mine. But the other side of that is we do not then live in the sin. Paul says, by no means. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Meganoita, by no means. So, do you want to be good? That's important for you to answer that question is because, and for me to tell you that I've asked myself that question, is because now you can come up to me in five years, in a year, or next week, and when you see a little bit of a conflict, a little bit of hypocrisy in John's life, you can say, but wait a minute, John. Don't you want to be good? This is the the defining the relationship point. Don't you want to grow in holiness and righteousness in Christ? Because, like I said before, many people start out well, but not everybody finishes well. So, our goal is not to just start out well. Our goal is to honor Christ through to the day of completion. So, the, the confidence that we see in Philippians... I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm confident in that, and I see you, and I see all of y'all. I'm confident that Christ will continue his work in you. And part of us being a church watching each other's souls is seeing that that's taking place. There is no plateau in righteousness. There is no plateau in goodness. There is no plateau in the Christian life. There is only continuing on in faithfulness, growing each day. So, um, and Now, that being said, I am a roller coaster. So, (laughs) help me back up the hill. So, that's my call. Um, Or my challenge to you, help me back up the hill So as we climb towards Christ. So, all right, 2610. Oh, I'm doing great. So, 2610. Any questions on what I've talked about so far? There is a point here in number four about uh, the Pope being the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. The Westminster Confession doesn't say that. And I was wondering, um, the, what, uh, what is the basis for the saying that the Pope himself is the Antichrist? Um, I would take it, if I'm understanding it correctly, we're not saying as the ultimate Antichrist as if we look at a... Uh, Premillennial dispensational view as that one guy. But as in John says, the Antichrist, First John talks about the Antichrist coming to the world. Um, I believe that he is, because he is against Christ, he is against Christ's church, that's why he's set up as the Antichrist. Because he has set himself as head of the church and has not exalted Christ as the head of the church. Is that... Okay. Yeah. Everybody understand that? If you set yourself up as head... ...of something that you're not the rightful authority as head of, you are undermining that rightful authority. Understand that. You're teaching, so the the Bible's, the Bible doesn't really walk in gray much. It's black and white. You're for us or you're against us. Um, so, if you have set yourself up and said you are head of the church, when you have not been given the authority to be head of the church... You are illegitimate and treasonous and should be executed. thats I mean, we understand that. So that is, the, that is anti-Christ. That is against Christ's headship. So, and, I, and I think the natural fruit, I think it's obvious to see the natural fruit that's grown from that. Um, I mean, there's, not, there's, there's no wonder that the Roman Catholic Church is fraught with problems. Um, I mean, it's the natural fruit. I mean, the tree's going to bear its fruit. What a man sows, that he'll reap. And if you want to reap setting up one guy for a couple thousand years as the head of the church, and you want to, I mean, expect to have your priest be a mockery. I mean, so there's no small amount of books or movies making a mockery of Roman Catholicism. Um, So, okay. Any other questions? Yes. So, I think what I... I have the good fight. I have the race, I have kept the fight. Yes. Through to the end, yeah. Yeah, so you see that progression in Paul. Um he said, and we even read this, not that I've attained it. He said at that point says, Not that I've attained this, but I press on. The, the understanding where he says, I press on for the upward goal in Christ Jesus. Second Timothy, he's at the end of his life and he knows it. Not all of us are gonna be there, some of us might be. Um, However the Lord chooses to, to send us out of this world, not everybody's going out like Elijah. We know that. But Paul is at the end of his life, and he knows it, and he is, is his encouragement to Timothy is to do what he's done. This is where, be imitators of me, um, is I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the course. I've kept the faith. So that's our challenge, to keep one another there, because it won't be easy. Um, how did Paul get the kingdom of God? Through many trials and hardships. <laughs> Through many trials and hardships. He, he did not get to the end of that race on a yacht. No, that was a dinghy with holes in it as he was getting shot at by Somalians or something. I mean, it was a mess. He was getting attacked, shipwrecked, beat. I mean, who knows what the Lord has for us. It's honestly kind of exciting. I don't know. I know how men are. We like challenge and battle and fight. I mean, the idea of, you know, give me a clear field and all day to fight, you know, is exciting. There's something nice about battle that men like. Um, But that's what we have ahead of us. And that's what we're called to. And see, the funny thing about it is, as much as I love battle, and I'm telling you I love battle right now, there's going to be a point in my life where you're going to have to remind me, hey, idiot, that's the battle you're supposed to fight. (laughs) Because what's going to happen is we're most of all self-deceived. I most of all, I can pick out sin in everybody, except myself, very well. It's it's uh, it's, it's uh, Thomas Thomas White and Chapel one time joked around and quoted the Kenny Chesney song and said it's our favorite sins that do us in. Um, and so it's it's the stuff that I it's the sins in the part of this world that I'm trying to hang on to that I'm not going to see, and that you're going to have to help me see. You're going to have to open, help, I mean, this is why we're together, we're a body, we're committed to one another. This is why we have to be in our lives, because we can put on a good show for the most part. But we have to be in, in, in each other's lives enough, and a part of each other's lives, that, that we are actually family. That we know each other's dirt, that we, we know what skeletons are in the closet. And so we wrestle, we wrestle together. Uh, the spiritual battle that's being talked about that we're going to fight, and the actual physical sufferings that we're going to go through, we need to be there to wrestle with each other. When we come to those days, and this is, I've seen it happen many times in my life and other people's lives, you come to those pivotal points in, points in people's lives and they're strangers. They're strangers. I, I literally found out the night before I preached my grandfather's funeral that he had been a deacon at Fielder Road Baptist Church. <laughs> he was a stranger to me. He was my grandfather. Didn't know him at all. Woe to us if we think we can be a church and live like that. So, that's the... Yes, Brandon, to answer your question. That is that is what we're looking at here. Um, so, it's lining out a church. So, any other questions on those? And... Oh, I'm over. So, 2610 is the last one I was going to highlight. Um, so, the work of pastors is to give constant attention to the service of Christ in His churches in the ministry of the Word and prayer. They are to watch over the souls of church members as those who must give an account to Christ. That should bring your ear for Hebrews. Um, and, and Obey your leaders and submit to those as those who have to give an account for your souls. Um, that's, that's interesting. There is something that should help us love our pastors more when we know that he will stand before God... And give an account for me. Not that I will not be accountable for myself. So I look at my children and it's like, John, how are you raising your children? Are you raising children that will help him give a good account to God? Because he will give an account to God for the souls of my children. That's scary. I, I wish I could remember the quote. There was a quote from an old pastor who was... Mentoring a younger pastor, and the younger pastor was complaining about not having much of a congregation and how small it was. And the older pastor consoles him by telling him, he says, don't worry. On the day when you have to give an account for the souls that you shepherded, you will say, I have had enough. You will not beg for more souls to give account for. Um, so there's that understanding that there is a, a long-term spiritual implication to being a shepherd of a church. And one of the, and that, I mean, because the souls are eternal. This is an eternal account that is being given. Um, so they will have to give an account. So uh, they are to watch over the souls of the church members as those who must give an account to Christ. The churches to whom they minister must not only give them all due respect, but also must share with them from their good things according to their ability. They must do this so that pastors may have a comfortable living without having to be entangled in secular matters, and so they can show hospitality to others. This is required by the law of nature and by the explicit command of our Lord Jesus, who has ordained that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So, in our culture, what's primarily seen is a pendulum swing. On this side, you've got the um, entertainment-based... I'll put the the uh, prosperity gospel and stuff over here. you got the pendulum swing of all those guys over here flying around in jets and living in big mansions. Then you've got the 10-member Baptist church in Backwoods, Texas. They commit to taking care of a pastor, and he is scrounging for bread, working three jobs. That's your pendulum swings. you got the guy who's just living it off the sheep feeding fat off the sheep and then you got the guy over here sheep are starving the shepherd to death sheep complain if the shepherd even touches their wool <laughs> heaven forbid the sheep should have to give anything to that shepherd that's your two pendulum swings and they both exist very much so right now many pastors scraping by I remember I, I, I should have never been a youth minister but I was um, They. one of the ladies told my wife she probably needed to go get a job <laughs> Like you got the audacity to call somebody to full time ministry and expect them to be in full time ministry, but then you're going to tell their wife they need to go get a job. Lord, help you. <laughs> That's not right. So meditate on this this, this passage and see what it's saying. Uh, John Piper once said, "God does not cha- raise my standard, uh, or does does not raise my give." Ah, sorry. God does not prosper me to raise my standard of living. He prospers me to raise my standard of giving. Too too many times, and I've been in this trap before, every time I saw some money coming my way, I thought about what I could buy with it. It's like, how would this change? Like, there's this one thing that I always wanted that I always knew was going to make my life perfect, and when I got that money, I bought it, and guess what? There's something else out there. It's the carrot in front of the donkey, and I just kept going for the carrot. So understand... There's two, two traps you can get into. I don't think we're anywhere near close to this one over here. And I don't think we're over here either. But we have to be made aware what our call, and we as church members, will be responsible to God for how we take care of our pastors. So, the church, this is, after, this is the mid-part of the paragraph. The churches to whom they minister must not only give them all due respect, but also must share with them from all their good things according to their ability. According to their ability, nobody's nobody's asking you to throw the middles, widow's mite in. I'm not asking you to starve your children. But imagine you imagine we carry out the first part of what I talked about in living together and becoming part of each other's lives. You're going to be so connected with each other that we're going to want to live. I mean, if, it's the thing. If I'm in dirt, we're all in dirt. <laughs> But if I'm walking on bricks, we're all going to be in bricks. You know? If I need a barn, we all need a barn. That's the way it's going to work. If if we grow together and love each other that much, and we care about each other that much, we're not going to have to worry too much about 2610. It's going to take care of itself. But but understand the projection ahead is... And and so flip over to the, the next page. Pastors may have a comfortable living without having to be entangled in secular matters. That's one thing that's convicted me. Don't put your pastor in the position to where he's worried about paying the light bill. Now, if everybody's worried about paying the light bill, hey, God's put us in a place of everybody worried about paying the light bill. Everybody's got to worry about it. There may be a day we all may be worried about paying the light bill. Understand that. But if you've got the situation where you've got people that ain't worried about paying the light bill, but you've got somebody over here that is worried about paying the light bill, we need to figure that out amongst each other. Pay your pastors so that they have a comfortable living and don't have to get entangled in secular matters. Because the last thing you want is a guy showing up who's worried about paying his light bill trying to preach to you because you have a divided attention there. The best thing you can do is give your pastor the ability to study free. Free of worry from secular matters. If the pastor chooses to be a tent maker, Paul gives that option. But that is not set up as the standard. That is not set up as the optimum. The optimum is that God would set aside one man to study the word of God and bring it to the sheep. So, and so that they can show hospitality to others. That one I really like too. So, a lot of times churches look at it and say, okay, the pastor needs this much. We're going to give him that much. And he'll do that. How better is it if you pay your pastor and however that is. Now, I say pay. If you give him eggs, you're paying him. Understand that. It's according to your ability. There's going to be days the only thing I'm going to give to my pastor is an old, achy back. But by golly, he's going to get an old, achy back. I'm going to be over there swinging a the hammer as long as I can. That may be what he gets, that that's the ability. If the Lord gives you the ability, if all your, I mean, it's your it's your family, it's your children, it's your cook for them. It's like, hey, we had an excess of XYZ over here. We got five extra bales of hay. Hey, pastor, you're getting hay this month. <laughs> so understand it's according to your ability. So, get your pastor to the point to where he can show hospitality to others. Cuz that's our that's our goal cuz we all want to do that. And so our goal is to set our pastor free to where he can minister the word of God free from secular entanglements and to be able to show hospitality to others. Cuz it's, it's a cry and it's it's a condemnation of many churches that their pastors are skimping by working at gas stations or doing whatever he needs to do because they got to feed their families. And they've got a church full of congregants that could do better. They could do better. There's a lot of churches like that. So, the other shame of that, I said, like is like the prosperity gospel preachers who are just eating the sheep. So, understand on the pendulum swing of problems, we want to be right here in the middle. We're all in it together. So, um, this is required by the law of nature, by the explicit command of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has ordained that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So any questions? Anything at all. Now you throw it. Yes. So it is according to the mind of Christ for churches. Uh, it is, of course, so this is the middle of the paragraph it is according to the mind of Christ for many churches having fellowship um, implying formal so the, the original word was communion implying having formal association um, there is nothing wrong with this now this is I like the, the statement a church of like minded faith um, we're probably not going to find everybody who's quite as weird as we are they're out there but they're just so far away we're probably not going to do a whole lot with them um but understand, when we think about how we relate to each other as bodies of Christ, this goes back to the, the universal church and understanding that there are believers that God, there's a remnant that God has put throughout the world. He is calling people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Um, so we don't live as an island as a church. So when there's a church ten miles down the road, that they're not going against the two things we talked about before, which was foundational errors or unholy living. There's not really a reason why we couldn't have fellowship with them. And it even speaks, so if you back up to 13, um, no, no, I'm sorry, it is in 14. No, 14 and 15. Yeah, 15. So 15 talks about the ideas of disputes. So there's nothing wrong to say, hey, we're having a little bit of trouble. We know that church over there is a solid church. Hey, guys, can you help us out? And The same thing is going to be for us. So, we should be willing as a church to say, okay, Reformed Baptist Church, other county. Do they, they have trouble? Can we offer them? Can we be a blessing and an encouragement to them in any way? And so honor Christ. So, the understanding of, of working together at churches is very much there. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. So, that clears mud. And that would go to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Join together. Yeah. Hey, Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. we're making a group. We're going, we're going to go walk outside the abortion mill next week. Hey, we got these five churches that are joined together on that project. Let's do that together. We got a refugee colony living about 30 miles that way. It's more than one church can probably tackle. Hey, we need help. We got XYZ churches over here that are all similar beliefs. No foundational errors. No unholy living. Hey, help us out. Let's join together. We'll work together on this. No reason why we can't both contribute funds or whatever time, money, whatever it is. I got an old achy back. I'll donate for a few hours. Whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. We work together uh, for disputes uh, and for edification and gospel ministry. All right. So, two and a half hours worth of stuff, and you didn't get near of it. All right. So, close us in prayer, sir.